Our first reading comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1-13. through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When he came, he looked on Eliam and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him above Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Go to dark and sin. 
You're the one who brings spring out of winter. You're the promise and you are the keeper. You're the one who holds all things together. Together, together. You're the one who holds all things together. Together, together. You're the one who holds all things together. Mm. We will trust in you, Jesus. We will trust in your goodness. Our second reading comes to us from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. You are my shepherd. There's nothing that I need. You go before me, I'll follow where you lead. When the night is long, I am not alone, but you are with me, always with me. Lord, I trust in you, help me trust you more, for your grace and your love is sure even in the valley dark all my hopes restore lord i trust in you help me trust you Redeemed me, 
I am not my own. I will praise your name now and forevermore. For you are faithful, always faithful. Lord, I trust in you. Help me trust you more. For your grace is deep and your love is sure. Even in the valley dark, all my hopes restore. Lord, I trust in you. Help me trust you third reading comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. 
As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, 
If you were blind, you would not have sin, but now you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Chris McDaniel. Welcome to Trinity. Um, This is week two of Church in the Age of the Coronavirus. And I want to offer a couple of updates before we get into the word this morning. Uh, Number one, our website, atltrinity.org, is being re-engaged and redesigned to reflect the most important things for you to see during this current season of upheaval. So please, in the coming days, visit atltrinity.org and you'll see uh, some front and center information. Specifically, in addition to the content we're creating, you'll see a button that says, I need help. And if you or someone you know in the wider community has been affected uh, financially or otherwise and would like uh, to reach out for pastoral counseling or help, Uh, involving groceries or any other practical thing, please let us know because our pastoral team really desires to serve and to be the hands and feet of Jesus during this season of upheaval. Here's what you can expect from us in the days and weeks ahead. Sunday content, like you're hearing now, is going to come out first thing on Sunday morning with uh, musical worship, uh, a sermon, uh, with uh, devotional readings, and top-of-the-line content in terms of what we feel like you should be reading and thinking about. Uh, Then we're going to be sending out also a midweek email uh, with additional content, uh, a teaching, a reflection for myself or one of our other pastors, plus a short list of curated uh, must-reads, things that we believe actually are worth reading that speak to this current cultural moment. And then in addition to that Sunday and Wednesday content, we're going to be uh, publishing via our podcast, the ATL Trinity podcast, a Monday through Friday short devotional that I will lead, uh, as will Matthew, uh, our east side pastor, and Trip, our north side pastor. And we're talking about here just a, a Bible reading and a short devotional exhortation from us to you. And those will be hitting your podcast feed. So if you're subscribed to our podcast, you don't need to do anything else in order to receive that information. So the the main thing we're wanting to say there is that we're really wanting to be a present voice in your life, especially during a season where we're all experiencing some strange uh, social distancing and stuff that's pretty disorienting for us. So be on the lookout for those bits of information. If you have not already done so, we would encourage you to visit atltrinity.org and subscribe to our weekly reader list. Uh, If you know people who would like to receive this content, um, if they subscribe there at atltrinity.org, it's probably the absolute best way for everyone to keep in touch with everything that's going on and all the content we'll be generating here at Trinity over the next number of weeks. Before I get into the sermon from Romans 8, uh, I just want to say what we all know and what we're all feeling. Uh, We are currently in a liminal space. Uh, This is um, a very strange time. And that word liminal for me is actually really relevant right now because the word liminal means threshold. And if you think of a threshold, a doorway between two rooms, um, we are no longer in the space that we used to occupy uh, as a culture with our jobs and our daily rhythms. All of that has been massively disrupted, but we're not yet in the new normal. Uh, And I just want to say we are going to, as a society, get to some version of a new normal. We're just not there yet. We're in a doorway, and doorways are tight places. They're restricted places. Uh, Frankly, no one wants to live in a doorway. They're uncomfortable places. And so I believe the best thing that we can do right now is uh, extend ourselves some grace because I believe the Lord in his heart is extending all of us. Uh, grace. Um, 
So we need to extend that to ourselves and to one another because I know that when we're under pressure and feeling uncomfortable, um, it's like being squeezed and the stuff that comes out of us when we're squeezed in times of pressure and adversity is not always uh, our favorite. And so I believe the best thing we can do is uh, sit as tight and as still in the boat as we can. Before I read Romans 8, 1 through 11, I just want to say this. Uh, there are two groups, two, two populations in our wider community that I've found myself thinking about a lot lately. Number one, um, I feel burdened for those of you who are alone right now in a time where we're being told to take space and be socially distanced from one another. Uh, that means that a, a lot of us are sitting alone in our apartment right now. And uh, that's got to be very difficult. And I just want you to know that I see you in my heart and have been praying for you and our pastors see you. And so if you find yourself in a place of feeling uh, isolated, just wanting to be able to, to talk to someone or uh, to find ways to connect creatively in the days and weeks ahead, please go to atltrinity.org and click on that button that says, I need help. Because what we need to do now more than ever, I think, is be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. The other group of people that I found myself burdened to pray for here recently are those of you who are at home with young children. And I know what happens when our patterns are disrupted. Uh, kids crave um, structure and parents do too. And a lot of you are at home right now surrounded by small children who have no idea what's going on and they may be um, quite agitated. And I know what happens in those seasons, at least I know what happened for us when our kids were younger is we would not always act the right way when we felt pulled on and stressed out. And so if you are in that place, I just want to speak um, to you and say that we're praying for you as well. And while we know that there aren't uh, easy fixes to these situations, uh, what we do know is that the Lord uh, longs to meet us and give us the grace that we need to walk uh, in the in the presence of God and an awareness of God's presence. And so I want you two populations to know that we see you and we're praying for you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray today that as we gather together in our homes across the city and maybe even across uh, our country, 
uh, people who are further afield than just Atlanta, and we listen to this um, worship opportunity, I pray that you would fill us with the peace of the Holy Spirit. God, it is not our desire to simulate a worship experience, Lord. What we want to do in this moment, we're not pretending that we're at church. We're pretending, uh, not pretending that we're gathered. We're not acting as if things are normal, Lord. What we are saying in this moment is that we need you to help us and remind us that we, the people of God, we are the church. And so wherever we are, that's where the church is. And so Holy Spirit, would you give us confidence and courage that could come only from you? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have subscribed to that weekly reader, uh, you will see in the email a list of the slides that I would have, under other circumstances, put on the screens on the west side at Trinity. So I would encourage you to look at that very simple list because it gives a skeletal outline of what I'm about to say to you, and it'll help you follow along and not just get lost in all the words that I'm about to say. So the first movement and I think this is really important if we're going to understand this passage. Uh, the first movement is the word therefore. Uh, Paul says at the very beginning of this passage, there is therefore now no condemnation. So if we're going to understand what Paul is about to say, we have to actually look back at what he has just said. And one of the things that I find so unhelpful in some ways uh, when it comes to understanding context clues are our chapter and verse breaks in the Bible. When Paul wrote this letter, he did not write them uh, chapter 7 and then a clean break, chapter 8. He uh, would have started a new paragraph, and the thoughts would have been linking to one another. And so we have to look back at chapter 7 if we're going to understand chapter 8. Um, I remember uh, someone once told me, whenever you see the word therefore, you always have to look back to see what it is there for. So let's, let's do that together. Um, just before these words that I read to you, Paul has been reflecting, famously reflecting, on the fact that each of us who are Christian— and probably most all of us, period, want to do the right thing, but we struggle to do the right thing. So our heart's desire is, um, I want to do things that are good and right and, and even pleasing to the Lord, and yet we end up doing things that we don't want to do. And then Paul says, conversely, um, that there are things uh, I do want to do that I don't, and then there are things that I don't want to do that I end up doing. He basically is describing that vulnerable situation that each and every one of us find ourselves in, which is that our desire and our behavior oftentimes don't match up. And this is how he frames it in Romans 7.24, and I'm going to read from the message because I think the message actually helps us understand this. It, it helps us maybe see the, the sentiment Paul is putting forth in fresh, uh, with a fresh perspective. So Eugene Peterson translates uh, Paul this way. He says in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And some of us probably feel that way right now. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And frankly, the discouraging thing for, for us is that we feel like we're at the end of our rope regarding this coronavirus, and we're just on the very front end of a season that is going to stretch out probably much longer and, and go on much longer than any of us want it to go on. And yet we oftentimes feel right now like we're at the end of our rope. Maybe it's our kids. Um, maybe it's that sense of isolation. Maybe it's the feeling of um, uncertainty around finances and our jobs, whatever it is. Um, we all know what it feels like to be at the end of our rope. 
And Paul asked the question, is there no one who can do anything for me? And then at the very end of chapter 7, he actually answers his own question. And I'm going to read from the message again just so we can see it. Paul says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And this gets us to our passage today. What do we do when we feel pulled by the impulse of contradiction inside of us to do things or to behave in ways that we know are not redemptive and productive? Um, What do we do? Paul says Jesus has actually given us a place to stand. So with that in mind, let's try to hear what Paul is saying now in this passage. So the second movement in our passage is this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, we're a mess. And then he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Paul is trying to say is that back and forth, wishy-washy experience that all of us experience is part of what it means to live in a fallen and broken world. And God knows this. Jesus knows this. He knows that we're made of vulnerable stuff. He knows right now what you're going through. God knows the struggle in our hearts. He knows the stress that we're feeling. And he knows that that stress actually leads us down roads that we don't want to go down. And Jesus moves toward us in our vulnerability so as to remove the sense of condemnation when we know that we're made of vulnerable material, fragile material. Paul would indicate here that Jesus approaches us in order to answer the deepest question of our soul. And I believe the deepest question of many of our souls right this minute is exactly what Paul said in Romans 7.24. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? If we're in Christ, God takes our weakness and our vulnerability and he enfolds it. He gathers it up into himself. He's not afraid of or annoyed by that vulnerability. He gathers it up into himself. And y'all, this is so important for us. We need to understand, and maybe right now is the time to answer this question in our own hearts. Do we believe that Jesus has done something on our behalf? Um, I believe that Jesus has given you a place to stand. I believe that Jesus has given and provided a way for all of us to exist in the midst of the tension and the turmoil that is around us without losing our way. And the thing that Jesus did, uh, he did in the flesh. Paul here says uh, that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh of his body. That Jesus actually, when he died on the cross, he pulled into his own person the brokenness and the sin that we experience, those contradictions that are inside of us. And he did something with it. He actually carried our sin away from us so as to deal with it once and for all. And maybe it's best to understand it or actually think about it this way. Um, Jesus killed something. He dealt with something definitively when he died on the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead. We all know that Easter is around the corner. And I'm going to tell you, Easter is going to feel quite strange because we're probably going to be gathering in our homes on Easter morning or with our very close friends and family on Easter morning rather than as we're accustomed to gathering in the big gathered wide family of God. But regardless of what happens and what's going on circumstantially on Easter morning, what we celebrate at Easter is that Jesus died 
But the story doesn't end there. He was resurrected. And that right now, Jesus sits fully resurrected, fully embodied at the right hand of the Father. And so when we pray right now um, in, the, in, the, in the home or in our car and in isolation or in frustration, we're not praying to a disembodied idea. We're praying to a fully embodied Son of God who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus, in this moment, fully present, fully physical, in God's world. And what Paul is trying to say here is there's something about resurrection that Jesus dealt with sin in his body and then became alive. The hint of resurrection, I think, is right in front of us in a passage like Romans 8. And there's an invitation for us to think about it. And I just want to say a few things about Jesus's physical dealing with sin and his physical resurrection, because I think this is going to be really important. You'll see this in your notes. Number one, resurrection teaches us that our physical life matters. What we do with our body, uh, which involves social distancing right now, involves finding a way to exercise, uh, involves finally fi- uh, wisely reaching out to care for other people, hoping for a way forward. Um, how we engage our physical bodies in uncertain times, actually, this actually matters for us. Um, Jesus is resurrected in his physical body right now. And I'm going to tell you that one day, each and every one of us is also going to be physically resurrected. We're going to get our bodies back. And so what you do in your physical life right now, how much you eat, how much you drink, the way that you're sleeping, the way that you're tending to your physical life, especially in a season of uncertainty, y'all, it really matters. It counts. The second thing that resurrection teaches us is that there is life on the other side of all the uncertain things that we face. One of the things I love about the resurrection of Jesus is he didn't avoid pain and suffering. He didn't avoid, avoid uncertainty. He didn't avoid the cross. He faced those things and went right to them and through them and found life on the other side. And so resurrection teaches us that not only did Jesus deal with sin on the cross, he did, but he also actually introduces us to life on the other side of pain via the resurrection So I want to say to you, there is life on the other side of death. There is life on the other side of job uncertainty. There is life on the other side of isolation. And bluntly, there is life on the other side of corona. The Jews believed that even death was not the end. Um, That understanding of the power of resurrection that the, the Jews believed at the time of Jesus, most all of them, and Jesus certainly reinforced for the Christian church is that there is life on the other side of all the pain that we experience. And so I believe this invites people like you and me to face uncertainty with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection in our hearts. And thirdly, resurrection teaches us that our hurt doesn't last forever, so I don't have to run from the things that hurt me or scare me. I can sit with those things and acknowledge them. That I can ask God to meet me um, in the middle of whatever it is that's uh, scaring me. And I think that right now, um, many of us probably are and would do well to answer some questions about what we're most afraid of. Uh, for some of us, it's it's health. We're afraid of, of getting sick. Uh, for others of us, we're afraid of Uh, our um, security going away through the loss of a job or reduction in income. And that's a very real threat for all of us right now. We're facing some really uncertain times economically. For others of us, we're afraid of um, just the loss of contact, of the loss of um, immediacy in relationship. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. I I know where my triggers are right now. I, I can see and feel in my bones the places where I'm struggling 
I believe that the time that we are in right now, there's an invitation for us to put those things before the Lord, to name those things and say, God, would you meet me right there in the middle of my fear and remind me that there is life on the other side of whatever this major darkness is that I'm facing. And the irony is that in the age of Corona, we're all facing um, the same macro thing, but we're um, but we're also going to respond to it or maybe be triggered by it in very different ways. So it's a good opportunity for us just to be as honest as we can about what it is that we're worried about. So the third macro movement in the passage is, is this one, learning to walk according to the Spirit. L- let's hear what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit in Jesus as it pertains to how we deal with our vulnerability and weakness. And I love this because what Paul is basically saying early on is that there's a sense in which um, we're being invited to see and experience no condemnation. But he knows um, that we don't ever engage all the vulnerability of our life perfectly. And none of us are right now. And so he says to us effectively in the third movement, we have help. We do not need to do this on our own. No one is asking you or me to white knuckle our way through the corona crisis. So Paul says, we have to learn how to walk according to the Spirit. We are invited to walk in the life of the Holy Spirit to remember that there is help available to us. And I'm going to give you just a a few, actually, four things that Paul is saying about the life of the Spirit. Number one, I've already said it, there is no condemnation. We're not disqualified. We don't have to be ashamed. We're free to admit our weaknesses. We're not alone in terms of God, even when we feel alone. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done something for us. And that leads us to the second thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says to us, there is freedom in me. Freedom means the freedom to receive things. Freedom means the freedom to move about. And I think for us right now, because we're feeling less and less freedom to move about, it's really important to recognize that the Holy Spirit, even in confined seasons, says, I've given you access to freedom in me. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does in a moment like this is he gives us access to power. There is also power. Power, frankly, to see our minds move in new directions. The Spirit helps us think about the right kinds of things. But we all know right now, going back to that vulnerability, that there are other forces that are vying for our mind space. But these forces don't have to carry the day. I believe that we are in this moment right now, probably more than any other moment that we can put our finger on in recent memory, experiencing a kind of battle over the direction of our minds. What are we going to be thinking about? What are we going to be um, meditating on? The Holy Spirit can give us power to set our minds in new directions. And so right now, if you feel that you're caught in some sort of rut, that your mind is going down paths that you really don't want it to go down, there is power available from the Holy Spirit to set your mind in a new direction. And we're going to end this talk in a few minutes with some very practical advice about how you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. And once we set our minds in the right direction, it leads us to the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does. There is life and peace in the Spirit. A mindset on the Holy Spirit will produce life and peace. And I want to say this because this is actually, I think, really important for us on a very practical level. When we live our lives reflectively, we have access to the life and peace that God has for us. When we live our lives reactively, we don't experience as much life and peace. So I want to ask you right now to think about what does it look like for you to be reflective right now rather than reactive? 
Because when we walk reflectively, when we quiet our souls and we slow down and we get outside, um, when we pray and engage in spiritual disciplines, um, there is in that space, I think, um, an invitation for the Spirit to give us to walk into more reflective spaces rather than those reactive spaces. And so I just want to recap. I don't know about you, but if walking by the Holy Spirit means no condemnation, it means freedom, it means power, it means life and peace, then I think I want to walk in the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. And I bet you do too. That leads us to the last movement of this passage. And it's this one. The Spirit of God dwells in us who believe. This means that we have life in us, even as we struggle to trust. And I want to say that emphatically. Even if you find that you are very vulnerable right now, and all of us are, we have life in us. You, if you belong to Jesus, have life in your body. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Jesus and the Holy Spirit give life to our physical bodies simply by indwelling us, whether we feel it or not. You are being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And y'all, this is one of those moments where I believe that every single one of us are being invited to say to our bodies and our hearts, even though you feel vulnerable and stressed, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus. Even if we feel like we are an absolute mess and we're not impressed with how vulnerable we are and how volatile maybe our emotions are right now, we are indwelled. Paul tells us what is fundamentally true, that we as the children of God are indwelled with the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus. And if you're listening to my voice right now looking for comfort, and you're not a Christian, I just want to say to you that you can become a child of God who is indwelled by the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a, in a mystical but very real way, simply by opening up your heart and your mind and saying, God, I don't want to do this on my own. I need your help and I need your life. It's as simple as that, saying yes to God. We don't have to pray magic words or get them just right in order to be indwelled by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And when I think about my own life and how I'm walking through this season of uncertainty, it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that actually reminds me that I'm connected to something transcendent, even though all the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. Y'all, there's a way for us to be steady when the whole world is falling apart. And I believe the Lord is inviting each and every one of us to tend to the work of the Spirit. So I'm going to share six things here at the very end. Here are a few ways to tend to our awareness of the indwelling of the Spirit. Number one, every single day, find quiet places to read your Bible and to pray. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I would start in the Gospel of John and read a couple of chapters every morning and be still and quiet and ask yourself, what is this showing me about the heart and nature of God? And what is this passage showing me about the vulnerability of my own situation? In the coming weeks, I'm probably going to be doing some reflection on the first half of John's gospel, Um, and I've been excited to think about how do we look to Jesus and how do we see how the scripture teaches us something about Jesus. But I want to say to you today, as you are able, find quiet places to read and pray. Go on walks. Uh, Spend time when your kids are napping or are asleep. Um, Take a long shower if that's the only way you can get to a quiet space, but find quiet places to read and pray every single day. Number two, We contend to the indwelling of the Spirit by moderating our digital diet. 
uh, most all of us right now are probably reading and watching too much um, because we're trying to solve it. We're trying to understand it. We're trying to wrap our head around things that are frankly really big. So I think we need to moderate our digital diet just like we do our food and drink intake right now. Um, moderation is going to be really important. It'll help us to tend to the work of the Spirit. Number three, find people with whom you can share your thoughts and feelings with, uh, close family members or friends. And I want to say to you today that if you are alone, if you don't feel that you have people that you can talk to, please go to atltrinity.org and click that button, I need help, and simply say, I need someone to talk to. I feel cut off. I feel lonely. I need to talk. We will connect you to conversation partners. That's our commitment. Our church is ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. And we don't care whether you live here or in the UK. We want to serve you as the hands and feet of Jesus. And there are a lot of people in this church family who are ready to jump on the phone or FaceTime or Zoom or Skype and connect. Share your thoughts and feelings. And if you got people, do it there. If you don't, we want to help you. Next, engage in times of worship at home or on walks. Trinity has Spotify playlists. Those are a great place to start. But Amazon Music, um, Spotify, there are ways to just Google worship and start to find your way into worship resources. Singing and being in the presence of God um, is a way to calm our souls and open us up to the work of the Spirit. And next, I would say we can seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I find myself right now asking the Holy Spirit for uh, very particular spiritual gifts like faith, um, tongues, discernment. We need to actually receive the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul tells us that we're meant to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, that we're meant to seek after those things and ask God to meet us and to fill us with tools, power for living. And last, I believe that one of the invitations for us to tend to the work of the Spirit in our lives is to move through our heads into deeper places. Y'all, we're not going to be able to solve the coronavirus by reading endless articles. Um, don't check your brain at the door. I'm not asking you to be in some sort of denial. But what I am saying is we have to tend to the deeper places. We have to tend to our hearts and our soul's experience of God. You are not just a brain on a stick. And times like this might make you think that's what you are. Uh, just a thinking thing. Jamie Smith, the philosopher, says we're not just thinking things. And I would commend to you that if you're finding that your soul is um, is troubled, uh, if you could pick up an ebook or um, even if Amazon would deliver it, John Ortberg's little book, Soul Keeping, is a great resource to help us focus on the care and the needs of our souls. And I would commend that book to you and say, this may be a great time for you to turn and face your souls and ask God for the grace to take care of your souls. So those are six ways to tend to an awareness of the indwelling of the Spirit. And I hope and pray that you will spend some time doing just that in the days ahead. God bless you. Monday morning, I will be in your um, podcast feed uh, for a very brief reading and reflection time. So if you subscribe to our podcast, um, I will quote unquote, see you on Monday. God bless you. Go in peace.
Breath of the 